Again, I, I, I want to continue to say this over and over again. As we stand, we give a posture uh, of our body that hopefully registers with our mind the honor that scriptures do. And uh, for far too long, uh, maybe we have not done that, and it's just a great practice to do. Well, welcome. My name is Steve, and I'm glad you have joined us today, both online and in person. You know, at YFM, the, we practice the ways of Jesus to love God and love all people. That's really what we do. We look at Scripture and go, hey, what did Jesus do? What do we need to be about? And that's what we are about. You know, there are a lot of voices. Uh, voices come in the form of verbal, written, Twitter tweets, Facebook posts, Instagram pictures and posts, and I guess they even have video. I have no idea. don't have one. Uh, yeah, I know. It's kind of amazing. And all of these things are attempting to get our attention. They're attempting not to just get our attention, but they're attempting to kind of speak to you and to mold you and to make you. As you have come to understand, I hope the voices speaking to us are, are attempting to persuade us. It's the whole process. It's the whole process behind them. Uh, good or bad, they are moving us. They're trying to, to tell us something and possibly even for many of us sell us something not only based on your need but on their need. You know that, right? That most of the voices that are speaking to you, the majority of them are trying to sell you something not based on what you actually need but on really what they need for you to do for them. A lot of these voices are because of money. Uh, We know generally the growth and expansion of a brand and a business needs to sell more to grow. That's the bottom line. They're continually in this pursuit of more. Most businesses, even if they don't desire to expand per se, let's say they're good with their size, they still need to grow. Why? Because the cost of things increase and so they have to They have to sell more. They have to grow in some substantial way in order to take care of the costs that are coming at them. It's just the simplicity of the economics that we live in and the world we live in. The products, most of the time, these voices are telling us about. um, They tell us they're the best, they're the most beautiful, and that you need to have them. And they will give you the greatest satisfaction that you ever will have. Even inside this drive by the company to meet your need so they can meet their need of more money to make a more money share, market share, they they actually do believe, many of them believe, and substantially so, and hopefully rightfully so, that their product is the best. It may even be by your evaluation. So if you're an Android user and you're sold on Android, you'll go, you'll argue that all day long until somewhere along the line you realize that the apps just crash too often and you have to go after to move over to iPhone. Okay, a little bias there, just telling you. All right, maybe not the most beautiful or blessed, but, but it, 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 is, it can be by our own evaluation, right? Cars we drive, we drive them potentially, not because they were given to us, or because we just, you know, uh, we drive them because we believe they're the best product that we want at the time. Food we eat, generally, the tech we use, the clothes we wear. Did you know, and many of you do, because I re- remind us every, every so often, that we are exposed now to about 6,000 to 10,000 ads per day with a voice trying to vie for our attention. Did you know that? If you're online, that's what they're doing. The algorithms are there to pull you in and, and to, you know, get you to listen to them. 
persuade you, to move you, to sell something to you. So the constant question we have to ask as we listen to these voices that are primarily moved by money is, what voice will you listen to? What voice are you going to listen to? It could be because of power, right? They sometimes go together, but oftentimes they don't, as we already know and realize. While some people in orgs are not selling a product, they may, put, they may potentially be peddling a promise of something better and a better ideology. That's what they're selling. Politics in America is divided along ideological lines. Whether Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or whatever you may claim today, the platforms of the party serve as a way of thinking. They're an ideology. They're a selling point. So we've used this word and we toss this word a lot around this idea of ideology. What is it? Uh, here's my running definition. It is a way of thinking within a group or a culture which holds to a certain integrated sociopolitical assertions. That may be not all of it. It's, again, it's a running definition. But the question is, what voice will you listen to? Could be authority. I'm a little bit off the track, but I think it helps to sell it because I get to kind of put it in my own wheelhouse is as we have seen and will continue to see, the church, big C, is divided along ideologies also. While many churches agree on the essentials of belief, uh, as Paul stated in Ephesians 4, it'd be pretty hard-pressed to go to most Protestant churches and say, hey, do you believe in this passage of Scripture? Most of them would shake their head yes. And it says this, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope you who is... Hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, that's just one. Uh, creeds kind of fall into that. So I think you'd be hard-pressed to go to many churches. There are some that do not use the Apostles' Creed, but use the Apostles' Creed as a, as a guide rail or guide, yeah, guide rails to their uh, beliefs and how they live them out. But that's where it kind of changes right? So every church has their own ideologies or beliefs in how they interpret the scriptures and how they live them out. Those could be called easily ideologies because they're a theory of, they're, they're you know, just a living out of what it is. For example, the gift of the Spirit. <laughs> Sweeping in, we believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, but I have brothers and sisters who are vocationally in the same area that I'm in, in this city, who do not believe in the gift of prophecy, or they don't believe in the gift of spirits. It's okay, but that's another place where we vie differently. How about women in ministry? There are many churches that do not believe that women should be in ministry in any leadership role, or that they should be subjected to men in ministry. In the Free Methodist Church, that's not the case. Again, not bad. It's the way they look at things, that the way they interpret things. We would say that that's probably not the way Scripture would be interpreted, but okay, right? When, when baptism should be done, right? Some people believe that it should be done uh, in when a confession of faith. Some believe that it can be done at birth. Guess what? You're in a denomination that takes it both. We, we, we kind of go, ah, you know, we'll let you decide on that one. All this to say, and even communion, by the way, we just took communion. Uh, if you were uh, part of a denomination or part of a church that uh, members only can take communion, literally, members only can take communion, 
uh, you would know that uh, pretty quickly and see that. Where here, communion is open to all who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We believe it's an open table. But this is the point. There are a cacophony of voices vying for your mind, your heart, and your soul. While, these motive, while the motives of the voices are mixed, both good and bad. We have to, we have to acknowledge that. I mean, who's going to decry a business who sells their product well? If they're lying, that's one thing. But if they just do it well, we have to kind of go, wow. Even though we might not like their product, they just do it well. A lot of people do pick on Apple because they have a way to sell that is incredible, and it's off the charts. Now, whether that's good or bad, I think it really sets neutral, but they're able to do that. They are very, at the very minimum, all of these voices in your life or that you allow in or that are in the world are attempting to get your attention, as I said. They're attempting to get my attention. They're attempting to persuade the world in a direction. And in too many cases, friends, we might even find ourselves in this place. They're attempting to win not only our attention, so we buy their product, but even our affections. So we pick up their banner, right? So that we will be devoted to them, So we will have an allegiance to that, whatever that is, whatever those ideologies are. You know, the phone that many of us have, we carry around with us, uh, whether it's in our pocket or near us in our pocketbook, somebody's phone's going to go off in in this hour, I know that, usually does. And not because you want it to, but because you forgot to shut it off. Oh, everybody's scrambling. Oh, is it off? Is it off? But this is the point. Your phone is trying to get your attention. It's not just the person on the other end. So those, those little dots on your phone, it has been proven that the, the tech companies create that so they can get you to return. They're sucking you in like you're going to gambling. It's just a crazy thing. That's the way with a lot of things in life. It's the same way. Last week, we left off with these questions. How do you hear God speak to you? And do you position or posture yourself to hear God? Really, that's what we kind of ended on because I can't tell you how God's going to speak to you. But I can, I can guide you in the ways where God speaks to you. And it's usually not through your phone, by the way. <laughs> it just isn't. It uh, can be, you know, somebody on the other end, but maybe not. If you weren't here, all I would encourage is that you go back and listen because these are, these are connected uh, uh, slightly because Matthew's writing a script. He's writing a narrative guided by the Holy Spirit to grab our attention in some overt ways and some very subtle ways. So as we enter Matthew's text today, I not only want to ask the question of what voice will you be listening to because this is vitally important. We kind of hit on that. But I also want to ask if you will be the voice in the wilderness. As Jesus followers, as Jesus followers in a broken world, we are called to stand out and stand up. (laughs) We are called to live in this tension of practicing the ways of Jesus along with building the interior life that becomes like we already prayed about, we sang about, and we even took communion around the scriptures about, which is absolutely true, that love becomes the core of who we are and the motive of which we move. 
because of who God is. As love becomes the core of who we are, we will have opportunities in our exterior life. The core will speak wholly to us and will shine for Jesus and his kingdom just as we sang, just as we invited the spirit in, just as we moved, we said, Lord, we want heaven here on earth. And Melanie is exactly right. That is the only prayer you need. Really is. It's, it's this core prayer. Why do I say all this? Not because of the passage we're going to read. It will lead into that. But Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, 11 through 16, blessed are you who, when people, and I'm going to read the whole thing because I think we read them in bumper sticker ways and they're into, it's, it's laced together. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we think sometimes these are disconnected. But then he says, you are the salt of the earth. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, before we even get into this passage, which seems in some ways just straightforward, John's, John's presence is pronouncing something great and grand in our moment of history, I think. So if you have your Bibles, grab them and open the text again. I'm not going to reread all of these passages. They will be on the screen for us as I refer to them in sections. But um, just, just know that we, we have a moment to stand up. We have a moment to shine out. Luke is the only gospel that introduces us to John. Here I'm in Matthew again. We've read it once. You can read it as it's on the screen for you. He's born miraculously to Elizabeth and Zechariah in answer to their desire, and can I just say their desperation to have a child, right? In the words captured on the papyrus pages of Luke's gospel, we find the details that John is Jesus' cousin, who was then predicted to be in the spirit and the power of Elijah, that Hebrew powerhouse prophet. If you don't know who Elijah is, please go spend some time and uh, review those passages in Scripture that talk about Elijah. And he, John, in the spirit of Elijah, is there to prepare the way for his cousin Jesus, the Messiah. Not just his cousin. I want to do that to tie some connectional tissue to his humanness. In those details, we find that John was also the one who leads God's people back to him, I was caught by that when I was reviewing this. Was, oh, wait a second. He's not just saying that Jesus will lead people back to him, and we know this from the passage, but that it was predicted that he would speak truth and clarity in the moment of time that he was in to bring people back to him. It's an incredible thing. Yeah, between, so we, we get this, all this captured in this Luke passage. Yet many of us would be curious about, hey, where's John Ben? Like we 
want to know, I do, uh, want to know where some of these biblical characters have been that kind of just emerge out of the wilderness, right? This is what's really interesting about John um, and what many scholars connect him to. Um, many connect him to the Qumran uh, community or the ASEAN communities. They're kind of interchangeable here a little bit. Um, and they're people who lived in the desert who were preparing the way of the Lord. There's a theme here, folks. They're preparing a way of the Lord. They, in their monastic order, in their devotion to prayer, in their devotion to Hebrew study, and their devotion to some other avenues, they devoted themselves to looking and watching for when Jesus would come. That's what they were doing. And what we understand is that John was more than likely a part of this group. Now, the reason that he was more than likely part of this group was because of his his, the idea of baptism, this idea of spiritual cleansing was very connected to the Qumran community. If you ever look it up out of pure curiosity in archaeology, they have these pools that they have created out in the desert and water, with, they had aqueducts and they were really kind of a cool community out there uh, and they would create these cleansings. You'd have to do them a couple times, at least a couple times a day, once before you ate, uh, you, had to, you had to go take a shower. Um, maybe you were told to do the very same thing when you were a kid before you come to this table. Go, you know, that type of thing. Yep, they had to do that. And there are some other, other aspects of his life. It's just really, really interesting. This idea of devotional cleansing. And so when John comes on the scene, we, we know that there's a connection. We're, we know that there's a connection between the two. And he calls, as the monastic order was for the Jewish people of the day, he's calling them to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. As we'll soon find in Matthew, this is not just his theme, it's not just the Qumran or the Essenes theme for, for what is happening, but Jesus himself will be saying the very same thing. In the midst of all this, John's voice he calls out for repentance was a voice, as I've intimated, is a voice of clarity and truth in a day of a lot of voices. He was asking people to repent, to change. It's a change of the mind, it's a change of the heart, and it's a change in the behavior. When we repent, it's a, it's a point in which we realize what we were believing at the very core of us, not the exterior of us, not what we've been caught by or for, but the interior of us is wrong. There's a belief we have. And we feel remorse. We feel lament. And we take actions to change the way we're thinking, replacing what we believed with what is true and starting in the interior of our lives, allowing it to inform the exterior, what we do and say, our behavior. Moving on to verses four to six, I've said that John's voice is a voice of clarity. John was a simple person, as we find out. Strange clothes, strange food. Just, you have to say it, right? He didn't have much. His clothes were made of camel hair, leather belt, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Again, one of those reflections of Elijah, actually. Uh, Just this kind of peculiarity about him. And Matthew writes that people went out to see him. Now, one could conjure up in your mind, uh, they may have just wanted to go out to see what the new clothing styles are. I don't know, you know, as they went out to see him. And what the new eating fad is, I don't know. 
I don't think that that was the case, but you think about it. It's kind of funny putting it in our, in our contemporary culture. Well, that's why some people just, they just go out to, hey, what's this guy doing? I remember going to the circus once in my life. There's just this intrigue uh, simply with people who say stuff differently, wear stuff differently, and even, you know, are, their life is just different. So John, as he was, all of that, is out in the, declara- out in the wilderness declaring this, this idea, this, this, this word of repentance. And he draws them to them. And he's calling them out. And the people are confessing their sins. Now, I want to point out a little bit of difference, and this is what we need to know, and I may have pointed out again later, is this idea of confession of sins is different than forgiveness of sins. So they came out and they would confess their sins and be baptized, but there wasn't a once and for all situation. It was still the Messiah had not come, his death had not happened on the cross, Uh, you know, the empty grave was not there yet. And so people came out and realized, oh, my life needs to align with the Lord's, and so I confess my sins, and that's all he could do for them. Now think about that. If you, all you could do is confess your sins and you didn't know that, you, you didn't have this inner cleansing, this inner healing, this inner clearness of clarity of mind. While John was formed and, formed and from a community that was dedicated to simple living, it proved to allow his heart, mind, and soul to be crystal clear voice, to be heard over the voices of the day. Friends, we live in a culture of consumption. If you didn't, you probably thought it was going to go there a little bit later, maybe not from earlier. In 2019, in New York City alone, all, all the delivery companies delivered in that city per day, they delivered 1.5 million packages a day. Now, some of us, if we're lucky enough, or unlucky enough, we have Amazon stuff in every single day, Right? Right, 1.5 million packages a day. Can you imagine? Now, some of them aren't, you know, I get it. They're, they're for various reasons. Well, we see a lot of Amazon trucks in our area. It's only the fourth largest, and that was in 2020, in May of 2020, uh, with FedEx still leading the way. This is the point. Let me ask this question. Does all that stuff get in the way? <laughs> Does all that stuff get in the way? Not only in your house, but in your way of taking care of what needs to be taken care of but for the Lord. Clutters our houses, our barns, our storage rental units, and there are a lot of them. But we have to remember where we put all that stuff and where it all goes. I mean, I think John's dress, this is kind of an odd correlation, I get it, but John's dress is just one of those ways that we kind of go, wait a second, what's cluttering my life? You know, he ate locusts and honey. He didn't have to worry about getting any other food from Whole Foods, Right? Uh, he, he wore camel's hair and leather belt. I mean, he's known for just the simplicity of, of, of that, where his mind and his devotion and his whole being was directed to the Lord. I think he calls us a little bit to simplicity. Can I run that route? Well, I'm going to anyway. Simplicity is a practice that is freeing to our minds, our hearts, and our soul. Uh, we've talked about this in the past, past that simplicity is, is when we're uncomplicated and unencumbered. 
uncomplicated and un- unencumbered. Simplicity is a way of following Jesus beginning internally where life is prioritized intentionally to keep God and his kingdom first before all things. Jesus, John did that for us. And in case you think John's where I'm getting the majority of this, I'm not. It's Jesus himself says that that's the way we should live. That's the way we should be organized. And what we know is his devotion to God brought a stream of people who heard and heard the call to change. To repent and to confess. For the kingdom of God is near. Please note, John is baptizing, again, I told you I would say this again, not for the forgiveness of sins, but for the confession of sins. It's vitally important that we keep this in line with what we know is to come. Verses 7 through 10 I want to focus on that. As John sees the Pharisees and Sadducees coming out to the wilderness, he suspects their motives. Uh, He suspects their motives and calls them not such a nice name. Offspring of snakes is what he calls them. Brood of vipers. This could easily be understood as a hyperlink between the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve. Not a fun word being thrown at you from a prophet of John out there in the desert. By their teaching and training, they were standing accused. He was accusing them of of tainting what is true and right to follow Jesus. That they they were adhering to their ideologies, whether Sadducees or Pharisees, their group cultures within them. And we know Uh, those of us who study scripture, that not just were there Sadducees and Pharisees, but much like what happens within political parties, there are segments within those political parties that adhere to certain things. The same thing happened within Judaism. You followed a particular rabbi who had a particular slant on a particular way of reading scripture, and you lived that way. And what he was doing is he was saying, look, Look, you're leading people the wrong way. You're leading them towards your personal power, your desire for your own authority. He calls them to keep with fruit of repentance. What is that? Well, from this passage, we can see that that's just the confession of sin. That's the ownership of our fallen state needing the intervention of salvation. That's simply what it means their temptation was to ride the ruts that they claimed in their lineage and what they were all about. He, he was kind of calling them out and saying, just because you're, you're born a Christian doesn't mean you're going to die and go to heaven. That's exactly what he was saying. Because you're Abraham's lineage by family doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven when you die. You're going to go and be. It's clear to them Abraham is not your ticket to righteousness. Those who cling to their religious heritage will stand in the coming wrath. That's a huge word in in any scripture, by the way. But John was pointing to the future coming, the future thing that would happen. Guided by the Holy Spirit in calling them out. Because I would I would be cautious on a regular basis, jumping to motive 
if not guided by the Holy Spirit, as John did with these who were coming out and checking out what was going on. What stands in their way? What stands in the Sadducees and the Pharisees' way of hearing the message? Pride. Pride is what stands in their way of being able to hear John's voice of clarity and truth that will correct their heart, that will offer a change of their mind, heart, and soul. Pride. Pride just simply stands in the way of heart change. It always did, always will. Their religious heritage stops up their ears to hear the truth. This is tough stuff to hear and even harder when pride does not allow the truth to penetrate so that the knee and the heart can bow low before the Lord. It's tough. Some of us have ridden in that trough this year. We're hearing stuff about ourselves. We're seeing stuff about ourselves. And pride has the ability to stand in the way of your surrender to Jesus, not to an ideology of Republican or Democrat, to your friends who are maskers, to the friends who are non-maskers, to Jesus. Whether you like somebody or not like, I mean, pride stands in the way. I've been embarrassed way too many times by my pride. Way too many times by my pride. Where I've wanted to just ride out and I wanted to be right instead of have a relationship. You ever been in those situations? You want to drive home the point. But you deny the relationship. You deny the repentance. You deny the ability. And this is what the Sadducees and Pharisees were doing. When we hear the truth, when we repent, when we hear the truth, it means that we, we understand that there's something we believe that is wrong. And it must be confessed and replaced with the truth. And if we're not careful, pride will stand in the way. James, Jesus' half-brother, reminds us in James chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. There's a, there's a term that is, I've heard more and more these days. I don't know what I don't know. I think it's a good, I think it's a good phrase if we're willing to wrestle with that with that, is that when we walk into situations that we're willing to kind of go, hey, let me hear you. Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what is supposed to happen. Lord, how are you, right? It leads us to this place of humility. He goes on in verses 10 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance for, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize baptize you with Holy Spirit fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John's job all along was to bring a voice of clarity and truth. It was, to, it was to point to the one who was coming. Drawing people back to Jesus. 
going, don't look at me, look at him. I'm not, even unwor- I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, so don't even li- wait for him. He's coming. I ask, as we move into this last section of the message, are, are you a voice in the wilderness? In this day and age where ideologies can consume us that are not Jesus, they're not kingdom, they're not the, the, the prayer we were singing together as as in heaven, on earth, they're not that prayer. They're more like, how can I keep my place? How can I keep my position? How can I? We are moving in that grounds, just like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, if we're not careful. Just last hour, as we were walking through the color of compromise, I asked a question that was not out of a motive of love, but more of a motive of authority and position. Now, there's not, it's not always wrong that way. But can I tell you the Holy Spirit pinged me in that? And I had to, I had to kind of go, hey. And it was Brother Ray is the one who fielded the question. And I had to say, Ray, that didn't come from the right place. May not have been a bad question, but I knew it wasn't the right place that it came from. See, we need to be open to the Spirit, open to the reality of what we do not know, in order to allow what He knows to be deposited to us. Well, all of that to say, as you may know, there's a great need for your your voice to be God's voice of truth and clarity in our world today. Our world is broken. And can I... Can I just say that the light is dimming? Not the light of Jesus, but the light of our world is dimming. We are called to stand up and be steadfast. We're called to be a city on a hill, a light that others can see, a voice that is a clarion call, clear for Jesus and his kingdom. By no means do I think that that means that we have to wear camel skins and eat locusts. But we are to be a peculiar people of the world, in the world, but not of the world. Peculiar people, people who stand out, who seek to speak in the right place at the right time, like John did with these Pharisees and the Sadducees, led by the Spirit, I believe. And as much as we might think this is an option for us, it is not. Jesus, as he was departing, left his disciples, and he, he gave them this word at the end of Matthew 28. We'll get there as a study, but we're going to get it, this out there. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, one could easily say, oh, that's only for the disciples of that time and that, that place. But most scholars throughout history have never read it that way. That it's a transference to those who say yes to Jesus, that we are, our exclusive call is to speak on behalf of the kingdom. That's our call. That really is our vocation. You go to, a, you go to your mission stop that we, you get paid from. But your vocation is actually, as followers, is really to be this light, this reflective source for God. 
But in order to be a voice for God, we need to be right with God. I don't think it's a problem of knowing what to say. I know, we could get in a conversation, well, I didn't know what to say in this situation. I don't think it's a situation of not knowing what to say. It's actually knowing that we're right with God, that we're hearing God, and that we can be a voice for God at the same time. John spent his time preparing and prepping in a monastic order, the Qumran community. We don't always have that choice. But we do have a choice. We have a choice to choose. So our next steps should always, almost every day, should be this, to repent. It's to repent, to confess and surrender to Jesus every single day, every single hour, every part of us, continuing to surrender. Some of us who have read Brother Lawrence or others, Francis, St. Francis of Assisi, know that their desire was to live in the presence of God all the time. And we think and categorize that as somebody who is living within a monastic order, but really that's the call of all of us. We just do it in different ways and different phrases. I love what Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, when we repent, we're able to then realize, oh, wait a second, that sin that's getting in the way that I struggle with, Lord, you need to take this. We confess, we repent, and we lead and walk into it. And the crazy, the crazy cool thing is while John could only take the confessions and, and then kind of go, hey, thank you for sharing that. Jesus is coming. We can say, Jesus has come, you're forgiven. Walk in the power of the spirit of the living Lord. We can rid ourselves of ideologies that are, that are whack and wrong. When we hold to our devotion, to those ideologies that are bound in this world, we never will be free. We'll never be free, whether there are lineage and heritage of religious or irreligious. We'll never be free. Repentance needs to be not only on our lips, but a posture of our heart. And can I just say, secondly, I would say that one of our next steps is we need to live in simplicity. That's going to look differently for all of us. But we're called to be people who are uncomplicated, our yes be yes and our no be no. And unencumbered. The ability to respond to the needs around us when we're called on to respond to them. As he will. And the cool thing is God never calls us into anything he's never prepared us for. I really believe that. So it really is putting ourselves in a posture of wanting to be used. Put me in coach, right? And working in that way. But simplicity offers us the opportunity to lead into that way. John's dress just reminds us that sometimes it's not going to look like the world looks. It's going to look a little bit different, but we're going to be a lot freer, a lot healthier. We're going to be people of reconciliation, of redemption, of restoration. Jesus himself says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. We know, we may know the rest of it, or we can look up the rest of it, but he says himself, let's not do that. Let's not do that. I think it's a time in our history, in our place, in, in this moment, as it probably is every time this passage is ever preached, to clear our throat, raise our voice to truth and clarity. Let's pray.
Father, we are grateful that you sent John the Baptist 